are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Read with me Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all God had done for Moses and for his, Israel his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace." So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, 
chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is the word of the Lord. God, we thank you that we have your word. We thank you that um, we have it, not just that we may grow rich in our understanding and knowledge of you, but that your glory may go out through all the earth. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts through this word that we just read, and as Pastor Rob prepares to um, teach us from it, Lord, would you make our hearts rich soil to receive the word and to go out and do with what we've received. Amen. Amen. Well, many of you know that in my household, we love food. And uh, our favorite food is pizza. We, we love all types of pizza. We love Neapolitan-style pizza, grandma-style pizza. We even like uh, what you guys call Chicago-style pizza. It's really just glorified lasagna. It's not really pizza, but we can debate about that later. Now, now in the past couple years... I recently heard of a new style of pizza, Detroit-style pizza. And then I got to try some. It was a game changer, literally so much that anybody I came in contact with heard about Detroit-style pizza and where they can find a slice right here in Pittsburgh. You don't have to travel to Detroit for it. Now, Here's the thing, whether you love pizza or you hate pizza, I can't imagine any reason why anyone would ever hate pizza, um, we've all had experiences like this, where we did not know about something, we found out about it and experienced that something, and then it was our mission to then go tell other people about that thing. This, This experience... Is, is common to all. We want to share what we love. We want to share what transforms us, even something as simple as our taste buds. And the story is no different for Jethro when he came to, into contact and experienced, he experienced his son-in-law's God. You see, what we'll see and what we have seen in this passage that we just read in Exodus 18 is that the story of Israel's salvation led to Jethro's salvation. And when we hear and when he heard and believed in the story of God, you know what he did? He found ways and multiplied ways to tell of the will of God. And we who have a greater redemptive story, a greater salvation story in Christ Jesus, we have the opportunity to do the same to multiply the ways that we tell this story to others. But why don't we tell this story? And why, why should we tell this story? And if we are going to tell this story, how should we go about telling the story of Christ? Well, I think we'll find the answer to those questions and even more as we travel with, with Jethro to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, where he meets Moses. And we'll see two things. How God's works were made known to the nations. That's the first point. God's works made known to the nations. And the second point, God's will made known to his people. 
And we're going to be uh, looking at Exodus 18 this entire time. And so whether you are with me uh, in this uh, Glenshaw house-to-house gathering right now, we have people behind the camera right now, safely social distancing with their masks on, whether you're here right now, I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open. I'll be, I'll be referring to Exodus 18 the whole time. And those of you who are watching online, I, I want you to do the same. And my hope and prayer is that as we work through all of the verses of this passage, you, you'll come away seeing that this story is a story that changes you. And because it changes you, and specifically Christ Jesus changes you, we'd be compelled to multiply the ways that we tell of this story in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So let's dive into this first point. You all ready? God's works made known to the nations. Now remember, God revealed that in Egypt's judgment, the nations would know that he is Lord, that he is Yahweh, the God of gods. And last week, we, we, we saw what the Amalekites did when they found out that God is Lord. They responded in violence to God's people. They raised their fists against God. And while the end of chapter 17 revealed God's judgment, chapter 18 is going to reveal God's salvation. See, judgment and salvation happen simultaneously, right next to each other in the Bible. Remember, we saw this even in the Red, in the Red Sea. Egypt was judged in the Red Sea. Israel was saved through the Red Sea. And here we see Jethro, a Midianite, not an Israelite, a Midianite, which is a close relative of the Amalekites. He responds to Yahweh. Look what we read in verse 1. Jethro, priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So what does Jethro do? He travels to Mount Sinai. We see that in verse 5, the mountain of God. And he takes his grandkids and his daughter with them. That's Moses' wife and his kiddos. Now, they must have been sent back to Midian during the plagues. We don't know why Moses did this, but he, he sent them back to Midian. And then Moses hears of their coming, goes out and greets them and meets them with a kiss and invites Jethro into his tent. Now, after some pleasantries, Moses cuts right to the chase. In verse 8, we read, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. When somebody experiences the life-changing salvation of God, they cannot help but share their experience of the salvation of God with others. And this is what Moses does with his father-in-law. And Jethro responds as anyone would who experiencing the life-changing presence of God, who is Yahweh the Lord. Look how Jethro, the Midianite, responds in verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced. Rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord, this is the covenant name of God. This is the steadfast name of God. The Lord is greater than all the gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. 
So we have one nomadic group, the Amalekites, reject God and are judged by God. You have another nomadic group, the Midianites. In fact, a worship leader, a priest of the Midianites, hearing about God and rejoicing in God. And God saves him. He saves him. He says, surely all the other gods are no gods at all. We don't know who the Midianites worshipped, but there must have been a, a plethora of gods. And they're saying, he's saying there are no other gods like this God, Yahweh. And then he responds in worship, animals slaughtered. And they break bread before the presence of God in verse 12. See, God is a God who declares that he will be made known to all nations. And what was it that made himself known? His works. His work in redemption and salvation that made him known. And this continues to this day in Christ Jesus. That the works of Christ Jesus are made known not just to one nation, but to all nations. The Apostle Paul picks this point up in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, the Gentiles are co-heirs. Gentiles, that means the rest of the world who are not Jewish. They are members of the same body and partners in the promise of Christ Jesus, who is the Israelites' Messiah, Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery is this, that people who are not Jews, who had no knowledge of God, and those who have heard of God and knew about the Messiah, they stand on same and equal footing before God because of the work of Christ Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection. They get the same offer, the same hope, the same promises in Christ Jesus. God is a God who desires all nations to know him, all tribes to know him, all skin colors to know him, all ethnicities, all languages, all united, pledging allegiance, not to a red, white, and blue cloth, a red, white, and blue donkey or elephant, but to a blood-stained lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? See, how will all nations hear? It's the same way Jethro heard. From someone who knew Yahweh and his works, declaring to him Yahweh and his works. See, the nations will hear about Jesus through those who have been changed by Jesus. Paul answers this question in Romans 10, 13 through 15. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, and everyone in the Greek means everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Y'all, this is not paid pastors. This is anyone who is a disciple of Jesus. How does the message of Jesus go out to our neighbors? Through me and through you who have believed in the message of Jesus. We've experienced the life-changing work of Christ and his grace and his mercy. 
And just think about it. How did you come to know Jesus? I mean, wasn't it because somebody told you the work of Christ? Wasn't it because someone invited you into their lives and into their home like Moses invited his father-in-law into his tent? And wasn't it because other Christians patiently kept telling you and recounting all the works of Christ and how Christ has changed them and redeemed them? And wasn't it because they told you that judgment and salvation are found in one place, the cross of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was judged at the cross so that you can be saved through the cross. Judgment and salvation simultaneously at the cross of Christ. This is how God's works are made known. And those who have heard and believed now multiply ways to declare his will to the people of God. It's the second point. God's will made known to his people. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever gotten to witness somebody confess Christ for the first time. It's exhilarating. It's, it's amazing. And this is what Moses just experienced with his father-in-law. But the next day, it's business as usual. Back to judging the people in verse 13. And, and Jethro, he, he notices Moses making a rookie mistake in leadership. From sunup to sundown, Moses is the only one who is judging the people, letting them know the statutes, letting them know the laws. And he tells them in verse 18, he's like, son, you keep this up, you're going to burn out. And so he tells Moses that you cannot do this alone. He's like, I want you to find some able men, set them up over people who, who are counted among the thousands, the hundreds, the fifties, and the tens. He says that in verse 27. And he wants... He wants them to take care of the simple matters. And he doesn't want these men to be elected by tribe. Notice he doesn't order this by tribe. He orders this by the character of these men. They can't show partiality. They're not men who can take a bribe. Have them handle all the simple matters. And if anything becomes too difficult, Moses, you'll take that case. Now, why does he want him to set it up this way? It's so Moses can remain doing the work that he was called to do, to plead their cases before God and to answer any difficult cases. What is he doing? He's focusing on teaching and prayer. And we see that in verse 23. Now, y'all, I love my father-in-law. I think I have like the best in-laws in the world. They're not watching right now, so this is not getting me brownie points. Let me tell you something. If my father-in-law, even though I love him, started telling me how to organize the church, how to preach, how to raise up leaders, I'm not sure I'd be as humble as Moses. Look what Moses does in verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. And did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over all the people, the chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. 
Jethro's wisdom right here is not a precept, but rather a principle. It's not necessarily a command, but wisdom. And even though the U.S. court system has based all of their courts off of this standard, they're seeing it as a precept. We follow it as a principle. And it's this. Humans are limited. Image bearers are limited. And it's not good for man, God says in Genesis 1 and 2, it's not good for man to be alone. And it's not good for man to lead alone. We are finite. God is infinite. We have the category of sumni. God has the category of omni. Omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, omnicompetence. That's why so many of us are on the verge of burnout when it comes to ministry, because we believe we have to be all the things that only God is meant to be. Or we never step into ministry because we believe we have to know it all, fix it all, and do it all, and be everywhere for all. Whether we are fearful of stepping into this ministry because we feel like we have to do it alone, or we're stepping into this ministry all alone, we all fall under the same sin of pride that we have to be all for everyone around us. Listen, we were never meant to feel guilty or repent because you can't be everywhere for all. We were never meant to feel guilty or repent because you don't know it all. We were never meant to feel guilty or repent because you can't fix it all. No, we're meant to repent, Zach Eswine says in his book, Imperfect Pastor. We're meant to repent because we've tried to know it all. We've tried to do it all. We've tried to fix it all. You know what that all stands for? Omni, omniscience, that's all-knowing. Omnipresence, that's everywhere at all times. Those are only God's character traits, not humans. Moses is not meant to lead alone, and we're not meant to lead alone. And if God carries out his will perfectly in community, he's three in one, his perfect community, then we as his image bearers ought to carry out his will in community with others. This is an invitation to grace. This is a gift. Jesus never sent out his disciples one by one. He sent them out in pairs to do ministry in community. And Paul instructs Timothy not to lead the church alone, not to have a centralized ministry centered on one leader, but to raise up more leaders so it can, ministry can be decentralized. He says in 2 Timothy 2.2, we just preached on this a couple months ago, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Entrust to faithful men. You see that character trait? Faithful men who will be able to teach others also. But Renaissance men and women, this is not just for leaders. This is meant, the ministry is meant for every member of the church. As disciples of Jesus, we're called to teach others to obey all that Jesus commanded us to do. It's not our job just to know the will of God. It's our job to instruct others in the will of God as well. Paul picks this up in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, ending with 16. Jesus gave 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Those saints are members. And when each park is work working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, it's not the pastor's job, it's not the leader's job to create ministries for consumers to come consume. It's the pastor's job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so ministry can be decentralized in households and in neighborhoods and amongst the nations. And this is what Jethro was telling Moses. The people of God weren't meant to be centered on one human person. It's meant to be decentralized with multiple leaders centering on one person, God, Yahweh, and in our case, Christ Jesus. This is why at Renaissance, we have the conviction and the commitment to have a plurality of elders, to have a plurality of deacons. We believe that the church not just our church, but all churches. We exist to equip the saints, all of her members, from community group leaders to child care uh, teachers to music leaders to benevolence team to equip them for the work of the ministry because I can't do it alone. And we even believe that as one church, we can't do it alone. That's why we're committed to plant more churches across Pittsburgh. That's why the pages moved here with us. By God's grace, they'll be planting a church in Greenfield in, in the coming days. And why do we want to do this? Why do we want to keep decentralizing the ministry? Is because when it's decentralized, more people get to hear the story of God and the will of God for their lives. Our neighbors get to hear about it. And what is the will of God for your lives, you might be asking? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this, Paul says, is the will of God. Can you all say this with me? Your sanctification. Every member's job is to declare the will of God to one another. That's what Moses was doing with all these leaders. The statutes, the the rules, the laws, is the will of God. Every member is to disciple others to follow God's will and grow in Christ-likeness. Now, I, I can hear you right now. I, I can feel it in my soul that many of you are, are saying, goodness, this sounds like law. So much do, do, do. Where, where's the grace, pastor? Where's the mercy? And listen, I... I hear you. Me just giving you uh, this list of things to do right now could, could be similar to me saying, hey, remember that, that pizza that I told you about? Detroit-style pizza? Yeah, I don't want you to come and experience the glory of that pizza. I just want you to go telling other people about it. That would feel like death. That would feel like a checklist. It would not be life-giving because you never got to experience the glory of that pizza. See, the reason why we, that, that I, want to compel others to love what I love is because I've been changed by the thing that I love. And we do this with so many other things. 
So many other things that we that we love, that we enjoy, we'll even set up laws in our life, rules in our life, so that we can continue to enjoy them and continue to tell others about them. I mean, just think of the last thing that you posted on social media. Just think of the last article that you shared about your favorite hot-button political issue. We do this in all other areas. We have so many other stories competing for our attention, and we tell so many other stories, but yet why don't we share this story? Why does it feel like law? Why does it feel like duty and not delight? It's because we forget that grace came before the law. These Israelites who were coming to Moses to figure out the statutes and the will of God, not just for their personal benefit, but he's judging between relational issues. They want to know how to love each other well. Why were they coming wanting to know this law? It's because they tasted the sweet salvation and redemption of God. And they wanted to follow this God all the rest of their lives. Remember, God's gracious gift of salvation from Egypt, God's gracious gift in the midst of their grumbling of water, manna, that he didn't have to make taste good, but he did make taste good. It tasted like honey. Deliverance from the enemy, the Amalekites. The reason why they want to know the will of God is because they've been changed by the grace of God. Matt Chandler, who is a pastor and author down in Texas, I heard him say this in a sermon. He says, the law becomes something beautiful to those under grace because the law becomes the path of life. The law outside of the grace of God feels like death. It feels impossible. It feels like a checklist that for our best efforts, we could never fulfill. See, the law apart from grace was never meant to be a path towards salvation. It was meant to reveal our need for salvation. The law shows us that we can not save ourselves and points us that we need somebody else to save us. See, the story of God that was made known to Jethro was this. The Israelites could not save themselves, but God did. It wasn't based on their works. It wasn't based on how big or how great they were. It was solely based on the fact that God loved them. And Jethro believed. And the same story is true in Christ Jesus. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot earn our righteousness. We cannot live up to all the laws that Moses and all these leaders were teaching all the rest of the Israelites. We cannot fulfill them. We cannot work to pay off all of our sins. But Christ Jesus, praise be to God, came to this earth to fulfill what we cannot fulfill. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death on the cross that we should have died. And he was risen to new life from the grave so that you and I can be saved. The law cannot save us, but the one who kept the law for us, Jesus Christ, can save us. Do you know that he offers this to you freely by grace through faith alone in Christ alone? Not because you can do enough for God. 
Not because you can fix enough things for God. Not because you can know enough things for God. It's because you are not enough. But Jesus was enough for you. And he still remains enough for you to work in and through you to keep declaring the story of God and the will of God to others. And just as Moses went and pleaded before God with all the most difficult cases, and he prayed to God, on behalf of the people, Jesus Christ has gone and represented us before the largest case ever seen in any court system that we can't make ourselves right before God. We cannot prove ourselves innocent. But through Jesus Christ, he pleads our case. He says, my life for theirs. My blood to cover all of their sins. My life, judge me as you would have judged them and give them life as you would give me life. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. Listen, you who have faith in Christ right now, you are fully declared righteous as a fulfiller of the law because of Christ Jesus. Right now, not because of anything that you can do or anything that you cannot do. It's all because of what Jesus has done. God cannot love you any more than he does right now. And he cannot love you any less than he does right now because his love is steadfast. His love stays the same. And it's all because of Jesus. And when you know this story, when you know you have been saved by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Man, this is the story that outweighs any other story. This is the story where you are willing to make multiple pathways for people to hear this story. It'll flood your social media accounts. It'll flood all your conversations. You cannot help but tell this story because you know you don't deserve to be a recipient of this story. And yet, we get to be. Telling the story goes from having to tell the story to get to tell the story. And we, when we know this, that Jesus was everything for us, we will then confess that we don't have to be everything for everyone else. But we can point them to the one who is everything for them. When we know this story, we remember that Jesus was ascended to the right hand of the Father so he can send us his spirit so that we can do this ministry and multiply this ministry across our neighborhood and the nations. And when we know this story, the will of God changes from duty to delight. This is the story of God that has changed us in Christ. Now let's be a people who multiply the ways that we tell of this story and tell of God's will to others. Let us be this type of people. Let us be this type of church. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I want to praise you right now that I did not have to save myself. I did not have to come before your throne alone. 